You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter Outchul. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode number 320, dated Friday, August 11th, 2023. I'm very pleased, as always, to have Peter Outchul, our good friend and colleague with us. Peter? How's it going? Good afternoon, everybody. From humid and hot uh, Columbia, Missouri, typical Missouri weather, which is dreadful during the summer. I heard Rather the be- whole. I heard that the whole lower Midwest is engrossed in this heat for a long time. Yeah, well, it's, it's not as miserable as it is in Texas, but it's pretty hot here. So yes, anyway, indeed. yep. Let me thank those people who make it possible for In Perspective to be made available. We start out with our executive producer, Raymond Gay. Thank you for what you do. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, thank you for what you do by posting our shows up on bulletin board number 15. Our media outlets, thank you for airing us when you do. And finally, Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions, who archives our programs on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. Just go there, click on the uh, In Perspective podcasts, and look at most of our archived programs. Pick which one we want to hear. Merci, Jackie. I also want to take this time to thank Steve Bauer for being our host for today's program. Thank you for taking the time, Steve, to help us out. A very common issue that's discussed, especially amongst the blind community, is rehab care. A lot of people go to hospitals, they get operated on or or not, they just go there to have their issues resolved, and then it's recommended that they go into rehab facilities. Now, I've heard a lot of mixed reactions about rehab facilities and the care that they offer people, especially blind patients. A lot of blind patients are very upset with the services they get in rehab facilities, while a lot of blind people are very happy with the services that they get. So I thought I would bring on some people today to discuss their own experiences and to share their issues. And then, of course, later on, we will welcome our participants to ask questions as well. So let me introduce who we have. We have Robert Sollers. Robert. Hey, Bob. How are you? I'm here. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us. Not a problem. All right. Patty Fletcher. Hi, everybody. Hey, Patty. Hey, Patty. And, and uh, Glenn Grimes. Are you there? Apparently, Glenn is not there. Maybe he will join us in a bit. So uh, Robert and Patty are going to be talking about rehab facilities and the care that they receive or the care that they know about. So whoever wants to start, we'll give them that opportunity. So what I would ask uh, e- either one of you who wants to go first is to talk about why you went to a rehab facility in the first place and generally your take on the, the quality of the treatment that you received and any troubles you experienced and how you addressed them. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you, uh, Peter, um, I went into rehab last year uh, just before my amputation for my uh, right leg. Um, they sent me down there because they didn't have time for the surgery at the hospital. So they sent me to a rehab place that was, um, shall we say, uh, the seventh gate of hell is where it was. The, the 
nursing assistants or whatever you want to call them. They sat watching TV from nine o'clock at night till three o'clock in the morning and then rushed around from three to six to get everybody ready. I don't know how many people, I know I for more than once laid in a bed of urine for, from like 10 o'clock until they came to me at about four o'clock in the morning. Uh, they kept trying to get me up and walking on the foot that the doctor told me not to walk on and then got mad at me for doing that. And you'd hit the call button and it would be hours before somebody would come by to see what you needed. And, it, you know, and there were there were a couple of people there that were absolutely wonderful, you know, what they did. But for the most part, you know, they they ignored what I needed and didn't do anything to help me out. So you, you mentioned what, what the problems you had at night from, you know, 10 a.m. Uh-huh. to, to I don't know, 3 a.m. or whatever time it was. What, what about during the day, you know, when the sun was up? How do things go during the day? It was okay, but then the nurses and the assistants were so busy doing all their day shift stuff, and, of course, day shift is always busier than nights. Um you know, the, it still took sometimes a couple of hours for somebody to come and see what I needed. And since I couldn't get up to to walk or do anything, I had to have somebody help me get to the bathroom and or the commode. And obviously, waiting two and three hours sometimes is not the best idea. So uh, one other question before I, I we move to Patty for me. Uh, obviously, you're 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 blind. Uh huh. And so. um how, how did your blindness fit into all of this? You know, you, you talked about sort of the lousy service you received and, uh, how much did that had to do with your blindness, do you think? That I don't, there was nobody else in the facility that was blind that I know of. Uh, it was like, a, I think it was like a hundred bed facility. They did have a mental health unit that was segregated from everybody else, but they ended up just before I left moving, moving the mental patients into the general population as well. Well, Robert, you raised a, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You raised a good point. Okay. So you're the only blind person there. Did anybody else in the facility receive the same lack of care that you received? Oh, I have no doubt that they did, that they did receive the same care. Then it's not uh, a blindness issue. It's not, it, to me, it's not a blindness issue. When my wife, Eileen, was in the rehab hospital earlier this year, she had the same issues. Uh, when she was in the rehab hospital three years ago, you know, we could, chalk it up to having the COVID uh, scare and not being able to have every enough people there to do the job. But this past spring when she was in the rehab, she had the same issues. She'd, she'd hit the call button, have to wait two, three hours to get somebody in there. Sometimes she had to, uh, to lay in a, a bed full of urine or otherwise. And, you know, and she wasn't supposed to get up on her own to go to the bathroom. And sometimes she had to because, you know, uh, her uh, she had she was getting her the infections taken care of in her feet as well as not having a knee in her left leg. Uh, well, thank you for that, Robert. Patty, what, let's hear from you. What, what's your story? So I will start at the beginning. Um, on May 3rd in 2017, I went to the doctor thinking that I had nothing more 
than a regular UTI. I had a day full of events to do that day, things to do. My schedule was very full on the van service. I'd, I had a mix of uh, door-to-door and uh, fixed route stops to make. So I left my house early in the morning and went to the doctor thinking that I would be out of there in no time and going on my way and I would pick up antibiotics, etc. Well, that wasn't the case. I went in and they did the normal tests and the doctor came in and he said, Miss Fletcher, you are very ill. Um, we need to send you to the hospital. Your kidneys are not functioning correctly. So I explained to them that you know, my being blind and having the guide dog, etc., that I would need to go home first and get um, things situated so that I could, um, you know, have everything I needed because obviously I didn't have anything with me to take to the hospital. So they agreed to that, and I worked it out with my transportation company. I explained to them the problem, so we made arrangements for them to Dropped me off at my house. I spent an hour there gathering things for myself and my dog. And while at home, still at home, I called the hospital and asked them if they already knew what floor I would be placed on. And um, they told me that they were going to put me into the observation unit because it was smaller and more uh, amenable. They would have staff there. You know, they didn't have as many patients that remained. You know, they may the, move those in and out fairly quickly. So their thinking was that they would have the staff to accommodate me and my dog because I had my guide dog with me and I explained to them, you know, that I would either need to walk with someone out to relieve him or that I would need to have assistance with um, taking him out. And I want to point out right here that it is not ever the hospitals or rehab facilities or responsibility to provide care for your dog. It is your responsibility to see that is done. So the hospital went an extra step right there to provide me a situation where I would be properly maintained. So my point in making this observation right now is that you must immediately begin to advocate for yourself when you go into such a situation. So I did that. I went into the hospital thinking, okay, some IV antibiotics, um, you know, I'll be out of here in a couple of days. So I did that, went into the hospital, was a wonderful, they even created a chart for my dog to, uh, for his schedule. So Campbell had his own chart and they were very diligent. Um, he never missed an outside time. They assisted me because I was very sick by this point. My kidneys were not functioning correctly. I was very weak. It all began to snowball very quickly. And soon my blood pressure was out of control. And so I was pretty much at the mercy of this staff. Now, we did immediately run into problems, though, because as you know, I, I educated the unit. All of the nurses and doctors and staff there in that unit knew what to do. But people coming in to work with me, such as lab techs, um, people taking me for tests, etc., 
everybody I uh, encountered had to be educated. So after about 24 hours of this, I began to ask questions of the staff. And one of the questions I asked was, how much education do you receive in medical school, nursing school, or CNA to deal with a blind person or someone with a disability? And they said that they got a six-week rotation in that department and no more. And very, very seldom do they get experience with blind persons unless they're going into a specific field. And those are elective classes not required. So that was my first concern. So I am this person who is a um, big on advocacy. And I had my computer with me. I never leave home without my laptop. So I got the nurses to set me up with a table and set me up in the bed and get my laptop together. And I went on to the hospital's website and found a place for comments, suggestions, reviews, etc. And there was a place there to write in my own feedback. So I wrote a letter. A, a very professional letter to the staff explaining my experience thus far in the hospital. And I submitted it. I never expected to get much response. The next day, my head nurse came in and she said, Mr. Atterbury, he was our um, CEO at the time of um, what was then Wellmont Hospital, um, wants to know if he can come down and chat with you. So he did, and I spoke with him for a long time about problems in the hospital with staff not being educated. As time progressed, I became even sicker. Um, By the seventh day, my blood pressure was very out of control. My bladder infection was not reacting to the antibiotics, and um, I had at that point for uh, pretty much a day and a half brain spasms, which um, means that they described it to me. You take a Coke bottle, you draw all the air out of it, you put the the air back in, blow it up, deflate it, blow it up, blow it up, deflate it. That's what the blood vessels and veins in my brain were doing. This, uh, my body reacted to it similar to a mini stroke. I suddenly could not freestand. I suddenly had no balance. I suddenly could not walk. And so they began to talk to me about transferring me into a nursing therapy facility to continue my treatment for the kidney and bladder infection, as well as to begin to work with me on regaining those skills. So the first thing that they did was send a case manager to my room to speak with me about these needs. And my immediate response was, this is fine. I'm happy to do this. It's going to be necessary, but I have no one to care for my dog. I do not wish to be separated from him. I do not wish to put him in boarding. So I need to find a facility that is willing to take me and my dog under my current circumstance. And of course, my goal was to get so that I could care for myself and my dog again. The case manager and I worked diligently uh, over the next few hours, and she did find a 
nursing therapy facility in the area which would take my insurance and me and the dog under my situation. I went into the um, therapy place the next day uh, via ambulance. The EMTs were amazing. They worked with, they came in, they asked me how do we best assist you. And now keep in mind all this time I'd been in contact with the seeing eye, getting advice from them on how to deal with the dog and the staff and everything that was happening. So we were prepared and, um, it went very, the transfer went very well. They took me straight into the nursing therapy. The unit, uh, manager met us at the door and they took <coughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Patty. Took, uh, took me into a room and they came in and, uh, I said, where do we need to set up the dog bed? And she said, no, we've given you a room that is normally set up for, uh, two people and, but you're not going to have a roommate. We've lowered the second bed all the way to the floor and put a special covering on it to keep, uh, water and everything off the mattress. And that your dog can stay there. So we set up a tie-out, and Campbell had his own bed and uh, food, etc. So the next problem I ran into, again, was, um, you know, you get the bulk of your staff, the people who are going to work with you every day, educated on what to do. I gave them contact information. They were going to work with one of the training managers at the Seeing Eye on things that they needed to do with the dog because I was pretty sick, you know, so I didn't have a lot of energy. So I was turning a lot of over it. Walt Sutton from the seeing eye was very assistive to me during that time. He was in complete contact with the, the therapy place. Everybody was very amenable. So two days later, I meet my physical therapy staff and they came in and said, how do we best work with you? And so I began to talk to them and they asked me a ton of questions. They wanted to know, um, you know, what, what was my home life like? What did I do at home? What, how did I live? What was my routine? Um, what was my, how did I work with the dog, et cetera? So we began to show them videos, um, that are provided to us from seeing eye to demonstrate what it needs to be done and how. And again, we spoke with the staff at the seeing eye and pretty soon we'd worked out a routine. Um, I had trouble with some of the CNAs who didn't take instruction well. Um, when I began to get mobile again, um, cause one of the, oh, good grief, Alexa stops. Um, sorry. Uh, so when I began to get mobile again, they wanted me up and moving as much as possible. And first I had escorts with me everywhere I went because I fell a lot. Um, I, I, I would work Campbell a few feet and then I would fall or sometimes I didn't get a foot. Um, but pretty soon we were emulating everything that would be done at home in the therapy room. And so overall, my experience was very good. Um, I did see, I did see the normal, um, staffing issues and, um, some issue with lag time on things happening, et cetera, but that was not a blindness issue. 
So, you know, I really feel like that's kind of a topic for another day. My point here is that through this entire process, I was self-advocating. And I'd learned these skills through GDUI. I had learned these skills through ACV. I learned these skills from the seeing eye. And I took those skills into my situation and applied them as such. It wasn't a bed of roses. It wasn't easy. But in 30 days from the time that I was admitted, I was on my feet working my dog with a quad cane and I went home. And when I had come into that place, I could not even sit up in a bed without props on either side of my bed. And I feel like that none of that would have happened had I not had good care and had I, but I wouldn't have never gotten that care had I not advocated because I ran into people who really believed I should just submit to the everything and go into this assisted living full time. And I continued to state, this is not an option. I do not need or nor do I want to live in assisted living for the rest of my days. I want to go home and I am going home. And I made it happen because I self-advocated. When I went home, I had physical therapy at home. Again, the therapists came to my house. They began to work with me first in the house. And then they got special clearance to work with me in the neighborhood to make sure that I could walk safely to and from the bus. And it took a long time. Like there were days when I couldn't walk any further than, um, you know, from my porch to the driveway. I mean, we started out really, really slowly and it was a major, it was the entire summer. And I had two setbacks where I had to go back into the hospital uh, due to the infection coming back. And it was an exhausting, uh, process. And the, the biggest thing that was exhausting to me was the constant having to educate, educate, educate as I went. So when I began to get well, I began to reach out to the health systems in my area. And I learned that, that Mountain State was already putting in, um, Things in place for blind and deaf. They were putting out Braille information. Um, you could get Braille release forms to read, information forms about what you were signing. You could um, get this information if you requested it. They had it available. They had. They were ordering Braille remotes for the for the bed and the TV because one of the hardest things I had during that whole time was learning to work the stupid bed. Uh, you couldn't tell one button from the other. And I had myself in all sorts of pretzel positions at times. And it was really frustrating. And um, so we began to tackle these things. And I even did a video that they still use in their continuing education, even though we have moved to a different health system. That transferred with them. I followed up and made sure. So my continued point here is, Self-advocation, it's absolutely a must. And you've got to have those skills in your toolbox now. 
You don't wait until you get thrown flat of your back. Um, I admire your determination, Patty. You must do that. And you can't focus on what is wrong. You must, I mean, you, you focus on it, but you don't complain about it. You don't sit there passive aggressive in your bed and talk to your family about how horrible it is. You speak out and you do it educatedly, not angrily. And that's my presentation. That's that's how I handled it. Thank you. Glenn, are you back? Yes. Okay. It's your turn. So, Glenn, uh, just just what I asked the other folks, talk about uh, what prompted you to be put uh, in an assisted uh, uh, care place uh, and what was your experience like? Well, it was kind of mixed. (coughs) Uh, In fact, I still, my voice is still, I ended up, with an upper lung infection on March 21st when I tuned the piano that day. When I got home, I suddenly had, I started panting like a thirsty dog in the summer. So I called 911 and they took me to St. Elizabeth's Hospital. The ambulance was very good. Uh, I find in the hospital and then from there I went, well, after St. Elizabeth's I went to care one rehab, but in both cases I found the doctors were fine. But the the rest of staff, I find the nurses were a lot of them, especially the foreign ones. They yell because they think you know you're blind. They shout, and you know. And of course, I don't have a computer, so I don't have a family either. The only family I have is my church group. So I live alone. <clears throat> I'm a freelance piano tuner, but I'm having a hard time finding work right now. But be that as it may, yeah, they tested me for COVID. I was negative. They said I had some kind of a pneumonia type infection. They they helped me get rid of my wheeze and everything. They had me on pregnazone, or and of course my blood pressure was way up. Uh, my problems with the uh, hospital is like they uh, you know they would take your food before you were finished. They wouldn't ask you you know because I eat slow because of my acid reflux. So they would like, you know, you know, they, I'm sorry, you know, somebody would come in and I'd say, you know, was there, you know, my food was taken or they'd give me food and not tell me what was on the menu. So I don't know. This was in the hospital. So I was in there for a week and two days. And then they, tra- on Thursday, March 31st in the afternoon, they transferred me to my ambulance to this rehab and they had, the Spanish wouldn't let me put my shoes on myself. She put her. She put my shoes on for me. She gave me somebody else's shoes. Good thing someone in my church group was nice enough to. They 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 transferred me with someone else's shoes, and my shoes have life. I mean, not life arch supports because I have fallen arches. They're like these plastic lifts that you put in. I I I knew these weren't my shoes. They were tight, you know. And I, I felt like I had, I, <laughs> I, I'm lucky I didn't get gangrene because the cut of my, the circulation in my feet was getting, you know, my feet were starting to get numb. <clears throat> well, anyway, it took me a week to get my shoes back. Someone had to take the shoes they put on me, you know, back to the place, you know, where I came from. But the rehab, I went from the fat into the fire because the rehab, you know, someone brought me a ginger ale and, you know, one of the nurses took it and threw it in the trash. I don't know what that was about. 
I don't, and replaced it with a, a, a hospital sized diet thingy. I mean, I had a 16 ounce Canada dry and they replaced it with an eight ounce Schwipps diet. I mean, and somebody made some kind of remark about me being in a cardiac unit or something. Apparently I had heart palpitations initially or something. Anyway, uh, so I had, you know, I, my problem basically was that the nurses didn't want me to go to the bathroom by myself, but the physical therapy people wanted me of course, to memorize. They wanted me to go to the bathroom by myself. You know, they wanted me to, uh, you know, try to maintain some independence. The, the physical therapy people were very good because they wanted me to self-advocate my independent, be emphatic about <coughs> being independent, whereas the nurses, all they can think about is safety and you'll fall, you're blind, you know. You see. The nurses were very prejudiced. Uh, the doctors were not. I, I, I got to be, the doctors were okay. It's, it's kind of a, it was kind of a, I was, one minute I was in heaven, the next minute I was in hell. Uh, and you're right, those beds are hard to, the buttons, it's hard to uh, manipulate those beds. I talk about pretzel positions. I mean, let's just... Uh, so I have a question. Uh, thank you, Glenn. I have a question for both you, Glenn, and um, uh, Robert. Um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, Pat talked a lot about uh, educating and so on and so forth, uh, and... Uh, so that she could get well, you know, uh, the therapist, the, um, physical therapist that she, that, that, that you worked with. Um, you all had challenges. You need to get well enough to get home. Um, how, right. how did that work for you? In other words, you know, uh, Robert, you, as I remember, you had an ankle, you, uh, you know, you had to deal with an amputated leg that was about to happen. Uh, how, how did they, um, get you ready to get, to get home again? How well did that happen? Well, and the same thing with you, Glenn. Go ahead, Robert. No, after the amputation itself, they uh, we argued with the case manager about where to send me, which rehab hospital to send me. And they finally sent me one in downtown Phoenix. And I'll tell you what, that place was absolutely fantastic. They dealt with nothing but brain injuries such as strokes and uh amputations and all that stuff. So they knew exactly what to do. I got to be friends with a lot of the people up there and including one of the nurses aides who's now one of my best friends on Facebook. But it's a matter that I was in that second rehab hospital for exactly three weeks after I had the amputation and I was home. They worked me every day for two to three hours a day with their physical therapy Obviously, I wasn't walking yet because I didn't yes. have my prosthetic, but uh, they had me in the wheelchair. I was working on the uh, the bike that they had there for, you know, for wheelchairs. They had me up walking on just the one leg with the parallel bars. They had me getting in and out of their simulated car in their uh, rehab. I mean, they had me doing everything. And like I say, it was two, three hours a day, uh, at least an hour every time. And... Like I said, three weeks later, I was home. And then I had physical therapy, obviously, to make sure my leg was strong enough and all that stuff to get up and exercise and all that kind of good stuff. So it, um, 
you know, it, that pro- that part of the process after the amputation was absolutely wonderful. It was everything before that I had issues with. So what? And question. I have to tell you, the second rehab hospital, the food was restaurant quality. Oh yeah, they mine to take, too. <laughs> they need to they need to they need to take reservations and oh, serve it to everybody too. else. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, got mine fat. too. My hub. Yeah, I got fat too. I gained weight. <laughs> That, I that, didn't gain any weight, thank goodness. I've, I've got enough. But I, I actually ended up losing about 10 pounds at that second place because they worked me so hard. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I had torturers too, Robert. I did. They, uh, four hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon. Like, geez, this is worse than the army. <laughs> well, I didn't have it that often, but I did have it at least three hours a day. But I'll tell you what, the ladies, the physical therapists there, the ladies that worked me out, they were absolutely fantastic. They they were worried about me falling. And the one time I did fall, it was being my fault. Uh, I was on the parallel bars. And the physical therapist was upset because she thought she was the one that made me fall. And, you know, so I, I ended up apologizing because it wasn't her fault. It was totally mine. My leg gave out on me. But, you know, it was uh, the second place. You know, I'd go back there in a heartbeat if I had to. I said, if I had to, that's, that's the key. I don't want to, but I. <laughs> so, um, I, I, uh, for those, as you're going through the physical therapy portion of your stay at these places, um, how did the blindness connect with all this? Patty, you talked about it a little bit, but how did, uh, you know, you had to work with these folk who probably were a little bit unfamiliar. They may be unfamiliar in general with folks with, with, uh, the challenges that you were experiencing, but they probably hadn't, seen many blind folks so how was how were the interactions like while you were going through your therapy sessions so if i could speak to that for just a second um when the the one problem that i had at the beginning was that they would rotate their therapists and um Mm. so i was working with uh for a, a while different therapists and this was frustrating because i would get somebody taught how to work with me and then they'd go away and they'd have to send another one and yeah they did that and, with me too and so i um decided to once again advocate for myself so i asked the the uh, nurse that came in in the morning to do my meds I said, can you send the um, manager from the physical therapy unit down to my room this morning before therapy? I'm not, don't, don't want to go to therapy until I speak with them. And so she said, sure. So she came down, the lady came down and she brought the head physical, she brought the, she was the unit manager and she brought the head physical therapy uh, person with her and, and he and I sat down and I said, so I understand that you rotate your therapist, that they're working in two different units and you know, that they come in and out and they will all work certain days. I said this, I totally understand that, but can we work out so that we create a team for me that we can all sit down together as a unit and speak together about exactly how to instruct me, how to work with the dog. Because one of the problems we had, they did um, 
extreme weather uh physical therapy. And they also did surface-to-surface physical therapy because working a guide dog, you have to go from uh, pavement to grass to gravel to whatever uh, when you're working and relieving your dog. And you also have to be out in all types of weather. So they did a special case with me, and we sat down and we worked out a plan so that everybody would know what to do because, you know, Campbell was adjusting too. And he was learning, you know, I have a mother is new. What is, what did you do to my mother? And, um, and what is this thing that she's suddenly walking with this quad cane? And so we had a lot to overcome. But the, again, the key was when I began to see a problem, I had to reach out and say, this doesn't work. So how can we make it work? And you're constantly having to throw the box away and think way outside the box. And, um, it's also, it's stressful. And I also, cause I'm weird. I like a challenge. So I also found it exhilarating. It was like, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to fix this, you know, and I want to leave this unit better than when I came. These people are going to be prepared. The next blind person that comes to this door, they're going to know what to do. That was my goal. Glenn, can you talk about your experience with the therapy portion? And then we're going to turn it over to our participants. Yeah, for, yeah, thank you. So, Glenn, talk a little bit about your experience uh, working with the, with the physical therapists. Uh, most of them are pretty good. Uh, <clears throat> my problem was with the nurses. Like, they've moved things on me, throw things away. I mean, they sent me home. Uh, they didn't give you toothpaste for a while, right, uh-huh. Glenn? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what else they didn't do. Well, not only did they not give me a toothbrush or toothpaste, but they also didn't put everybody, when you have, when you're in that situation, they put your name on the door. They put name tags. They never gave me one, which I didn't know. My roommate said, uh, hey, Glenn, your name is not on the door. And I'm like, well, is it supposed to be? Because I didn't know being blind. They, they said, yeah, my, I've only been here two hours and my name is... Uh, how long have you been here? And I said, two weeks. I said, nobody told me about him. Well, your name, I notice everybody comes in here and they want to know who you are. That's because you, and so he, between, he, he was a pretty good advocate for me on that, although they never did put my name tag on the door. And they threw, you know, like I say, they threw stuff away that was left on, you know. But I say they, I think it was more the, not the, the doctors and therapists. I think it was the nursing staff. I I don't know why, but I just they were like it was like an it was like an experience. It was like a bad acid trip, as we old hippies used to say. It was, you know, I can't explain. I mean, they, you know, if I had to pull, if I'd ring the bell, it would take them an hour. I mean, you pull this cord, it would take them an hour to come. Sometimes an hour and a half. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know. It's just. That's unfortunate. We have about 17 minutes left in the program, believe it or not. And I do want to give our participants the opportunity to come in and ask questions of Glenn, Patty, and Robert about rehab. So let me turn the festivities briefly over to Stephen Bauer. Steve, are there any hands raised? Uh, we have area code 615 with a hand raised. 615, welcome aboard. Do you have a question for Patty, Robert, or Glenn? Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Carol, and I really don't have a question, but I can comment on rehab centers because my husband is blind and has had a stroke, and he's been living in one now for several months because he cannot walk at all. And um, 
especially in the beginning, this became very difficult. Um, I wanted them to put a sign on the door saying that he was blind because people were coming in and out and not saying anything to him. And uh, they wouldn't do it because they said it was a HIPAA violation. Um, I've had challenges with his diet because there are certain foods he cannot eat, and they would just bring them to him anyway, and then he'd get sick and they'd be frustrated. Um, the physical therapy people, the therapy people were just not really good at explaining to him um, what they wanted to do, so it didn't work very well. And at this point, the stroke has progressed, and he's totally unable to walk, so um, I can't have him home. I can't lift him, so it's very discouraging. The, the biggest problem I had with staff is because I am also blind. They just couldn't conceive of how a blind couple uh, could manage, and anytime somebody would would show up with me, let it be a taxi driver or whatever, they'd come running and want to talk to the sighted person. And I had to explain to these people, okay, I'm it. We have no family here. Uh, these are people that I don't know that are bringing me in here. You have to talk directly to me. And um, it took a while for them to get it. They're finally doing better, but it's been several months. And it was a long slow process, and he was really too weak to advocate uh, for himself through a lot of this. So it was pretty much left to me to do it. So I'd, I'd like to give you just a smidgen of advice. If you notice through my presentation, I kept referring to that um, I had assistance from blindness organizations. So the first thing that I recommend to people, whether they're in a facility of their for their own self or whether they're dealing with a facility of a loved one or friend, um, talk to your uh, state VR services uh, or speak with your ACB or NFB advocacy. Um, reach out to advocates who are professionals at doing so and have them come in with you. Uh, or speak by a phone or a Zoom meeting or whatever it takes to get you a little help in there. You have the ADA even. You have advocacy people out there who can help you advocate and get things in place for you. Because the HIPAA thing was a problem for me. They didn't want to put on the door that I was blind and that I had a guide dog. And I went above their head. I went way above their head. I went to the ADA. I wrote my state ADA, and within a day, I had a sign on the door that said, blind occupant with service dog, please knock and wait for entrance before coming forward. And so I went way above their head, and I didn't do it with a computer. I noticed somebody said they didn't have a computer. The telephone still works. It, it does, and I live here in Nashville myself, Patty, and I'll tell you, our rehab is just about useless here. They just That's don't another call. call yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, absolutely. Yeah, I can talk to you about that anytime you want to call me. Sure. You, you, you got it. Yes, ma'am. Um, because uh-huh. Nashville is that non-existent rehab, so yeah, I've yeah. been on my own. Sure. Yeah. I, I like to, your working hard. Yeah. I have to tell you that when I first went blind, I had I was in the hospital. This is long before this happened. But um, I was sitting there, and I had a nurse come in first thing in the morning to introduce herself. And I, my wife had put a, 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 pl- or a piece of paper above my bed that said, I'm blind, so that everybody knew. And the nurse came in and says, 
Hello, Mr. Solo. Oh, I, I went through that. Oh, boy. And so, I, I just wrote back and I said, I am fine. How the hell are you this morning? Yeah, okay. So Got please it. let's watch our language. This is ACB and we do have rules about language. So let's watch our language, please. So, uh, thank you, Carolyn. I'm so sorry. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's, that, that's a, uh, difficult challenge that you're experiencing. And it uh, sounds like that you and Patty live in the same state. So you may be able to you know, work, work with each other a little bit. Uh, I don't know her, thanks, Carol. Well, we'll, you know, let's see what the, thank you, Carol. Steve. Steve, uh, what do we have? We have area code 505. 505, you're next. Rehab here in New Mexico is just about as worthless. When I got into that position, it took me a while to get out of there because the nurses didn't really want to listen to me. The therapists listened to me, but all I had was a blood toxicity issue. I didn't even need to need to be in there in the first place. And um, they saw me as an income source. The social worker did, and they were making every excuse why I shouldn't get out of the rehab facility. They would undermine you and sabotage you. And, and um, so the ombudsman knew that I wanted to get out, but um, even some of the uh, insurance coordinators resented the ADA. And uh, I didn't know who I could go to and things like that. It was awful. I had to get ACB National involved, but... Um, because we don't have a strong state affiliate here. Right. NFB that, didn't want to do anything. But that uh-huh. was your key. That was your key. You kept going and you and you reached out to ACB National. So you did the correct thing there. And that's that's what I want to keep reiterating to people is keep pounding the drum until you are heard. And it sounds like you did that, Beth. Oh. Yes it did. Yes it did. But I mean even the NFP didn't help me, and I went to school with the uh, with the guy there, with the the guy who was state president, and I felt very bad because he didn't they didn't seem to want to help me, you know. And so right. I said, "Well, right. the heck with you guys." Right. Well, and, so, we, um, so we do. It took have, me a while, but I did get out of there. Did yeah. it on your own? That's good. Yeah. So we have about, but I'm scared to go to the hospital again because these doctors have a way of, oh no, just go for a month and heck no, a month could turn into years for some of the sighted people with some of the stories I heard, right. you know, right. could turn into year, years for them. So Peter, we do have about 10 minutes and a lot more hands. I, I understand. So, uh, uh, thank you. But thank you guys. Thank, thank you very much. For your it was a very good presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Steve, who do we have? Uh, We have Abby Taylor. Ah, from Wyoming. Hi, Abby. Hi, everybody. Well, those of you, Patty, and and, those other of you who know me, uh, know that uh, my late husband suffered a paralyzing stroke three months after we were married in 2006. And then in 2007, he suffered a second stroke. So he was in rehab. Now, we were lucky because I had worked in a nursing home for 15 years before I married him. And so when it was determined he needed to be in a nursing home for rehab, I, you know, said, call Sheridan Manor. And so that's what they did. And they were great. We had a wonderful occupational therapist who, when it was determined he was going to be in a wheelchair, 
perhaps permanently. She, and she knew me because I, she knew, uh, she, I'd worked, well, not directly with her, but she knew she was there when I worked there. And so she worked diligently with Bill and me. My main concern was getting him dressed. I could dress myself, but I'd never had kids. I had no idea how to put somebody's shirt on him, you know? Right. And yeah. she worked with me. <laughs> you know, we tried one technique and another technique. And, you know, until we finally figured out how to get the shirt on, the pants on, everything else that needed to be done, all the transfers and, and everything else. And nobody questioned my ability to care for him despite my limited vision. We were very fortunate. But it, I know now what to do if, God forbid, I'm in a situation where I, I'm not getting what I need. I know what to do. So this is a great presentation. Thank you all so much for this. Your, your stories were informative and inspirational, and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Even though I came five minutes late, I loved yeah, it. Yeah, and you know what? And you guys check out Abby's book, My Ideal Partner, because she tells that story in there. Yes. Tells her yes. stories in there. Yeah, so, yeah, you can learn yeah. a lot from Abby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I would, I just wanted to give Abby a chance to promote her book a little bit. How can people get Oh, a book? sure. Okay, well, it's called My Ideal Partner, How I Met, Married, and Cared for the Man I Loved Despite Debilitating Odds. And it is available on Bookshare. Um, it's also on Amazon and Smash Wars and other online retailers. So, yeah, and you can visit my website at dot com to find more information about all my books and where and where you can purchase them. Thank you. So, Abby, Abby, A-B-B-I-E. I-E. J-O-H-N-S-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R dot com. Okay. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah. Okay. You are so welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Abby. Steve. Uh, next up, we have Chris Coulter. In January of uh, 2009, um, I got up one morning and my right ankle crack, went crack, oh. fell on the floor. I mean, I fell on the floor, couldn't get up. Well, luckily, um, my husband was very sane and, you know, able to handle it. And he said, can you crawl? And I said, yes, I can. And I did. And, um, we, we finally uh, called 911 and, and, and got me to the hospital. We were living in Everett, Washington at the time. And so, um, I got admitted and everything was, was, um, running fairly smoothly, uh, until, uh, they, they, um, had, they had a van to take me to the actual hospital. I was, uh, it was a, I, I can't remember. I think it was kind of a, um, an entryway to the, to the hospital we were going to. And I um, began to get very sick, lots of cramps. And um, unfortunately, um, my, I'm, I'm just going to have to say it. I just ended up being, having diarrhea a lot and it was uncontrolled. So we got, they got me to the hospital and they, gave me really, really not a whole lot of information about anything over time. I got very sick, but they wouldn't tell me what it was. 
and the doctor that 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 um worked the actual bone uh the actual person who was giving me ankle surgery and everything um she ended the the day uh, they, they were getting ready to get me home after a, a few weeks and she uh came in the doctor came in to visit me and when the last thing that she had to say to me was remember you're going to be leaving this hospital this was a couple a couple of weeks <coughs> later said you're going to be leaving this hospital and remember you are going home and that made me feel very good the physical therapist had been good to me too just like everyone else saying but the charge nurse decided i was supposed to rush right back to the the um the uh rehab center that i was in and she was they were going to this this charge nurse he was going to try to make sure that i got home home uh, to their rehab place and put me they, they were going to just put me in the rehab place and make me stay there <laughs> i said no you're not i mean you know i rather loudly <laughs> i am not going to do that that i i'm going home got home and um but you know i i got home so i it, i succeeded in advocating for myself with rather short words but good words and there were good people who were standing with me through the whole thing Thank you, Chris. And what, uh, what an experience. I mean, uh, you know, it was a huge experience. Yeah, I mean, the idea of them, you know, the, I'm going to, we're going to throw you in a, you know, a, a, what do they call it? A, a, a nursing home uh, against yeah. your wishes. Uh, yeah. and, and you have to sort of yell and scream. And I know that's politically incorrect sometimes, but sometimes that's the only thing that works. Yes. Be your yes. own spokesperson. That's all there is to it. Yeah. I was very operatic at 4.30 in the morning. When this- <laughs> uh, operatic is sometimes very good. Unfortunately, we only have about... Thank you, Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. We have about one minute to go, unfortunately. Uh, so We have four minutes thoughts. to go, Robert. Uh, no, four- it's, 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 but Robert has his own schedule. Oh, okay. Robert has his own schedule. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, Robert, I mean, do we have what? I mean, you, you're the, the one. Two more hands. So, if Steve, if you don't mind, let's take those last two. Last okay. Two, uh, um, people. The first one was Marlene. She put her hand down. I don't know if she still wants to talk, but uh, Marlene, if, you're, if you still want. Yeah. Um, I was just going to ask Patty to share her nonfiction books that relate to this. A couple of things, just really quick. Uh, first of all, I have not written. This is not yet in my book. It will be in the third book in the trilogy so right now the pathway to freedom broken and healed book one is on nls and that is the first trilogy and first book in the trilogy and the second one is being blogged chapter by chapter on my blog at pattysworlds.com and so if you want to do those two and then um i do have some other pieces about this which will go up on my blog this weekend and i will be writing about it more Th- thank you, Patty, and thank you, sure. Marlene. And, yeah. and the last, the last person. 
is Nora. Nora. Yeah, hi. Um, when I was in the, well, I'll go make it quick. When I was in rehab back in 1998, I had no way of knowing how to, to advocate for myself. So I did a lot of screaming and yelling and stuff like that when I was trying to advocate. Uh, I just wanted to get out of there. And I, I was in there for jaw surgery uh, because I'm an upper jaw. I had to have it wired shut. And some nurses came in and tried to do something with my chest and thought I had what you call a chest line. And I couldn't talk because my mouth was wired shut. <laughs> and I just had a lot of issues, I guess, uh, because I could not talk. And I can't write too much. No, because I don't like writing. And uh, anyway, I just didn't do well at all. Now it's okay, I Nora. I did a lot of yelling and screaming too. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I did too. And so I, want to, I, I want to make a comment sort of listening to this and whether it, oh, gets it is six o'clock. Yeah. 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 But, but very quickly, the comment is, um, it really, really helps. And I know that sometimes this is really hard for us to do, but it really helps to know who our network, who our advocates are before we run, we get into crisis. Yep. You know, whether it, whether 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 it's our you know build build a toolbox yeah, yeah 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 whoever that is you know uh you know because once you it, once you're in crisis it's those people it's the friends it's the spouses it's the organizations who right. who you know will will be there to, to support you it's the church groups right. um uh, uh you know so to really be really clear about who it is who's going to be on my side so when you run into these troubles in a crisis you know who will be there to to to, to support you. Well, first of all, I want to thank Glenn, Patty, and Robert for giving us their testimonies about rehab facilities, and we really appreciate it. And Patty's right, by the way. Be your own spokesperson. Be your own advocate, and, and you'll get further. Okay, not everything is going to be pleasant, but if you speak for yourself, chances are you'll come out ahead, and I think that's great. So with that said, everybody, thank you for taking the time. Peter, of course, thank you. Thank you, all our participants and also to Stephen Bauer for being our host. Next week, we're going to be talking to somebody about their near death experience. That's going to be a very inspirational program. Go safe with God's abundant blessings, everybody. Have a great week.